Thank you, Betty. Um, we are, are thrilled uh, with the work that Betty and her team, uh, Christy Cooper, another uh, one of our members who formerly is on staff, also works at Frontline. And uh, we just want to be abundantly clear that we not only get excited about this, but this is uh, very much tied to the mission of Redeemer. Uh, they are a partner of ours. We're going to talk about this more at the members meeting, but we, we want you not only to get excited about this, we want you to move in the direction of volunteering and, and looking for ways to help. Uh, so we'll talk about that more tonight, um, but um, we are, yeah, again, super excited. Uh, if you have your Bibles, you can open it up. Uh, we are going to be looking at John uh, 3, 1 through 16. So Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And uh, right before this passage, uh, just to give you a little bit of a, a context here, um, we're in the third chapter of John and the second chapter of John. This is when Jesus um, drives out the people from the temple. Uh, so flipping over tables, very frustrated. Um, and so what we're going to see here is that Jesus didn't immediately leave the city that he was in. Um, and so we're going to kind of see what happened when he remained in Jerusalem long enough to meet this dude named Nicodemus. So this is John starting in verse 1. Now there was a Pharisee, a man named Nicodemus, who was a member of the Jewish ruling council. He came to Jesus at night and he said, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform the signs you are doing if God were not with him. Jesus replied, very truly I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. How can someone be born when they are old? Nicodemus asked. Surely they cannot enter a second time into their mother's womb to be born. Jesus answered, very truly I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and of the spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the spirit gives birth to spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying, you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. How can this be? Nicodemus asked. You're Israel's teacher, Jesus said. And do you not understand these things? Very truly I tell you, we speak of what we know and we testify to what we have seen, but still you people do not accept our testimony. I've spoken to you of earthly things and you do not believe. How then will you believe if I speak of heavenly things? No one has ever gone into heaven except the one who came from heaven, the Son of Man. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes may have eternal life in him. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Father, we are so grateful for the fact that you loved us enough to send your Son into the world, to live this perfect life and die this sacrificial death and be raised from the dead on our behalf. Father, give us hearts that are grateful, not only for the things you give us, but for our salvation, which we sang about this morning. And Father, bless us as a church that we know more of you, but also are more aligned and attuned to the things that you love and care for. 
May we be people that reflect Christ to the world around us. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. Up on the slide, you're going to see a picture of a guy named Nicodemus. Um, And it's a little extra dark because of the lights, but that kind of fits in here because it happened at night, this scene. But Nicodemus was a Pharisee. um, and And as a Pharisee, he would have been incredibly diligent and attentive to knowing the law of God. He would have been a rule follower, and actually Nicodemus himself was incredibly good at that rule following. He was known to be Jerusalem's most outstanding Bible teacher, probably having a lot of the Old Testament memorized. A member of the the Jewish ruling council, only the high priest would have had more recognition than this man. He's a VIP. And because the Pharisees are well known for being some of Jesus' most persistent opponents, many believe that Nicodemus came to Jesus at night so that others, particularly probably his friends, the other Pharisees, would not see him meeting with their quote-unquote enemy. If Nicodemus did come at night out of fear, it's interesting that Jesus, who we know of in this passage, doesn't rebuke him but was willing to receive and talk to this man. And let that sink in. Nicodemus is not a Christian when he comes to meet with Jesus. He's very religious, but not a Christ follower. And he's showing some bravery by coming, but he's also showing some cowardice by coming at night. And good gosh, isn't that every single one of us? Be so consistent for the Lord in this. We see the consistency of the Lord in that he refuses to put out a faith, just like he refuses to put out our faith, that sometimes is mingled with fear, a smoldering wick. Lord, we believe, help our unbelief. So Nicodemus, we look at him, we ask the question, why did he come? Well, it seems like he knew a lot about Jesus. He'd been around for the miracles. He'd probably seen some of the tables flipped over, but he still lacked some answers. He believed Jesus had done great things, but now he's kind of stuck to say, I don't know what to do with this guy. And what does Jesus do? He masterfully walks him through the gospel. The first thing we see is that he spotlights Nicodemus' need. The story begins with Jesus saying to him that those who are outside the kingdom of God cannot understand the things concerning the kingdom. And Nicodemus, I love his just pure honesty. He's like, bro, I don't get it. I don't understand. You're talking about things that I cannot understand. In Jesus, in this moment, there's a temptation for all of us, whether we're dealing with a non-Christian or a Christian brother or sister in sin, there's a a temptation to kind of accommodate, to kind of make sure that we uh, kind of make the language as flowery as possible. And what we see from Jesus is the most loving thing that he could possibly do to Nicodemus is to be brutally honest with exactly where he was. So what does he do? He spotlights his need. And the next thing he does is he points him to the one that can meet those needs. Nicodemus is reminded, is told the remedy for his problem lies completely outside of any ability of himself. Think of the wind, Jesus says to him. You cannot command it to come, but you feel it when it blows. This, what I'm talking about, this new birth is like that. You cannot command it to occur by something that you do, 
You must resign yourself that you can do nothing. And you have to put faith in the one that can do that work for you. Nicodemus, a man that has probably earned his status in that society through his hard work, through his diligence, through his memorization, through him serving on all sorts of councils. Jesus is looking at him and saying the solution to your, the answer to your question, the solution to your problem is outside of anything that you can do. All we do is cry out for mercy and ask to be changed. Yes, there is a, a response to that change, to that, to that belief, to that to the new creation which we see throughout the New Testament. But what we see here from this is that the cleansing happens because of God, not ourselves. So what happens next? The next slide is that he invites Nicodemus to trust. Since Nicodemus is a Bible teacher, what does Jesus do? He uses the Bible. So we see here in the verse 14, he starts talking about Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness. If you're new to the church here, this is your first Sunday here, that verse, you're probably like, mm, let me put a little mark by that. What's going on here? What's happening here is Jesus is alluding back to the time of Moses when the Israelite people were cured from these venomous snake bites that they were experiencing by doing nothing in and of their own ability to fix the problem. But God, in a mysterious way, said that there needs to be a bronze replica of a serpent hoisted into the air. Numbers 24 tells this story that people grumbled and grumbled and grumbled, so God made the condition of their hearts externally visible in the form of those serpents. And then watching the people suffer, Moses interceded, gets that curious command from the Lord, makes the replica of the serpent, uh, the bronze serpent, puts it on a pole, holds it up, and tells everybody to simply look at the serpent. Stop, turn, look, and you will live. Moses listens to God, and that remedy proves to be true for the people that had the courage to turn and trust in him. Numbers 20, Numbers says, Then the Lord says to Moses, Make a snake image mounted on a pole. This is the exact text. When someone who is bitten looks at it, he will recover. And what the point of this is, when he looks back, when he's asking Nicodemus to look back, he's highlighting exactly what Nicodemus needs to hear in the present moment. The point is that Jesus too will be lifted up first on a cross, then into the clouds in the course of his ascension, which is going to shout out for Wednesday's uh, study on the Apostles' Creed. And so we enter this kingdom of God in the same way that those folks in Numbers were saved, by trusting God and looking to him in faith. And this is the gospel. Sinners desperately in need of being saved, which we can't do ourselves. Invitation to turn to Jesus, and he offers us to be born again. This language in here, that if you've been in church for a while, you've heard the phrase born again. As I was doing some research this week, apparently around the time of Jimmy Carter's election, this phrase born again Christian was a huge deal. So maybe, you know, some of folks in our 60s, they can remember back to those times. And this phrase has been, you know, confused over time. So we're going to look at it just very simply today. Being born again, the metaphor of a baby being born. Honestly, I cannot think of a much more dramatic metaphor. What's he trying to communicate? And I think 
what he's trying to communicate to Nicodemus and to us today is that the gospel, us becoming Christians, us having Jesus as the center of our being, of our life, and our community, is not an add-on to our lives. It isn't like a, you know, an extra new outfit that you put on. You're saying, oh, I'm still the same person. Now I just look a little bit better. It's not saying, oh, I you know, got an extra, an extra source of income and kind of pulling in. I've changed my life just a little bit. It is a transformation of our lives. And that transformation gives us a whole new outlook on life. St. Augustine says that the mark of a Christian, I think there's a slide for this. Go to two from that says that the mark of a Christian is that the loves of your life are reordered. The mark of a Christian is the loves of your life are reordered. Being born again means that you are not just kind of, kind of tweaking how you think about it, but you are willing to say, I need to sometimes, and a lot of times, move 180 degrees from where I was to what God has called me to think and be and act in love, and it changes everything. We listen to Betty talk about caring for vulnerable people, and specifically victims of uh, sex trafficking, and when I thought about that, I thought as a Christian, when we see an issue like women being trafficked for sex, as a non-Christian, you can look away from that and say, okay, that's somebody else's problem. You know, somebody else will figure that out. I've got enough problems of our own. As a Christian, being born again means we have eyes to see vulnerable people being exploited, and we don't turn away from it anymore. As a born-again Christian, we now have eyes to see that when we look at friendship, we don't look at it as a, what can I get out of this friend? We look at it and say, what does the Bible call me to be as a friend. We think about it, you go through the list, think about our money. When we're not a Christian, we think about money as this is, this is my pot of gold that I get to choose to, make, choose to use to make myself as happy as possible. As a Christian, our lens, our understanding is transformed where we see money as this is a gift from God. And I use this as a tool to care for myself, my family, and for those around me. We're stewards of God's money. The list goes on and on. We think about marriage. When we think about marriage, we, instead of looking at marriage as saying, okay, how can this person fulfill my needs? We say, what does the Bible say about marriage? Let me submit to that. And it says that I'm called to be a sacrifice to this other person, putting their needs above my own needs. And we keep going down the list here. We can talk about your own life goals. When we think about your life goals as a non-Christian before you became a Christian, maybe your life goals were to make much of yourself or to make much, you know, tons of money or to live this for certain kind of life. And as a Christian, we see those life goals and we put them through the filter of the Bible and we say, what comes out the other side? Where are we not submitting to where the Lord has called, how the Lord has called us to live as a born-again Christian? Are our loves being reordered by the Scripture? And the second thing as a, a born-again Christian is that we have a new identity. We are a new creation in Christ, and the babies, they are being born into families, and they get a last name, and they get a sibling sometimes. And they get parents 
and they're born into a family that, you know, it could be your, you go to a family reunion and your cousin has a new baby that has just been born. That baby, because they're related to you, holds a special place in your heart, even if you've never met them before. And that is us as believers that you look around this room. If you're a born-again Christian, you hold a special place in the hearts of your brothers and sisters. And we get to live into that as a church community. One of our brothers this morning, as we were doing, we were praying before the service, going through a difficult time, and he said something that was so profound. He said, during this time, I just want to hang on to church, and I want to hang on to God. And isn't that all of us? When we are going through those difficult times, we lean into our identity as, yes, being a son or daughter of God, but also being a brother and sister to everyone else in the, in the church. And the thing about birth is, and this is how I'll end, Rachel, if you want to come up, the thing about birth is that someone is doing a lot of work to have that baby born. I've been there for four births, and I can tell you Someone is doing a lot of work. I mean, I had to sleep on that bed that was not very comfortable. You know, I had to be outside of my house for a couple days. But my wife, women are just incredible. And I'm not going to go into the details, but it is unreal what a woman goes through, both in the, 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 you know, being pregnant for nine months, nine months later, all the pain, the screaming, the agony, a baby the size of a bowling ball coming out of their body. And the incredible part about this is that all of that pain, they're willing to do that and sign up for it. And I'm not saying that every birth is, you know, there are, obviously there are times where women, um, due to tragic things that happen or just unexpected pregnancies, where they're not signing up for it on the front end. But so many women are saying, yes, I want to go through this because of what's on the other side. And this is obviously getting better, but there are still an alarming number of women that die in childbirth. And I think back a thousand years ago when those numbers were even higher and women signing up saying, I volunteer for this. Women willing to risk their life in order to bring a child into the world. Friends, those women are a mirror to the story of Jesus, except that he didn't just risk his life for you to be born again. He willingly gave his life in the most excruciating death possible so that we could be reborn into this family. Through his sacrifice, we're given life. We're adopted into the family of God. And as we head towards communion, as Pastor Matt comes up, we head towards communion, we confess our need, and we come and receive from the one who saved us. Recognizing that we are not the center of this story, but we're the ones that benefit from him being the center of this story. Let's pray. Father, we're so grateful for your kindness and your love for us. So grateful for the fact that we, as humans, as sinners, have been invited to simply put faith in the finished work of Christ on the cross. And if there is anyone here who has never put that faith in Christ, may they do so now, recognizing that you welcome them with open arms. And those of us who are Christians, May we be reminded of your love for us and the sacrifice that you went through so that we could be born into your family. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.